It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait. Can't, 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 can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. around Booker driving lobbed Aiden knocked away by the Bucks Giannis did it swinging a long drive to left Jettler back at the wall jumps up and makes the catch to end the game Scott Jettler high up on the wall and left I don't think it would have left the yard but it would have been extra bases and Scott Jettler timing his jump perfectly Pull that one in, and he gets congratulated by his outfield teammates, Brandon Marsh and Joe Adele. What a catch by Scott Schipler, and an explanation point on the end of this one. Holiday against Payne. Down to Giannis, wide open, slam it through the left hand. The 1 1. Swing and a high drive, deep left field. Way back and out of here. An absolute no Finish down low. Good outlet to Durant. Leaking behind and flushing it through. Is he going to hit the scoreboard? He's one away from time. He just win it. He just won it. Pete Alonso, home run derby champ again. And he had 30 seconds, 31 seconds left on the clock. That's that was a pretty spectacular performance, I gotta tell you. Into the Saturday show. Hope y'all are doing great out there. Yak and Lundy along for the ride on this Saturday afternoon right here on the Zone Sports Network. Eric behind the glass, producing for us as always, putting together that compilation. Uh, thank you as always for that, Eric. Alex, what's up, my friend? Oh, you know, just enjoying life. Another Saturday, another nice weekend of uh you know hopefully kicking back and relaxing a little bit it's not as hot today as it has been some other saturdays i will take that no problem it's still pretty warm out there sure because i mean you know it's it's july but you're right it it has kind of taken a step back from that crazy heat wave in (laughs) june so i give it a couple of days i'm sure it'll be right back to to torture us oh absolutely but I hope you guys are all doing great out there, wherever you might be here along the Wasatch Front on 97.5 FM or 1280 AM, or if you guys are streaming it, wherever you might be uh, globally. Honestly, you can you can stream this show anywhere in the world. That's the crazy thing about it. Technology so, is awesome. It is awesome. There's no doubt about that. But hope you all are doing great here on this fine Saturday afternoon. Plenty to get to ahead on today's show. Of course, the British Open, or as uh, some people prefer to call it, the Open Championship is ongoing. We've got a three-way uh, tie atop the leaderboard right now, so we'll talk about that. Bob Casper from Real Golf Radio, who you guys heard earlier this morning right here on The Zone, will join us to talk about the latest going on over there at Royal St. George's. We'll also get to Saki. We'll talk about the 60 and 60, how that's going with Hans and Scotty. we got plenty to cover ahead on today's show. And by the way, we have an NBA Finals game tonight. Man, you know, usually summer 
is the thing that we kind of view as like this is the dead point of the year. But we still actually have a, a good amount going on. You know, the the NBA Finals usually have wrapped up by now, but due to the weird year previous that we won't discuss, <laughs> uh, you know, thankfully we have NBA Finals now that we can still latch on to. We've got maybe Olympics coming up. We'll see. I mean, things look kind of weird and questionable over there so uh yeah it's um we'll see about that but there's a lot of other things i mean major league baseball's going on sure. we had the all-star game this past week um so yeah and an nba finals game tonight like you said that should be a really good one game five i'm really excited about well okay well, let's talk about that because i think there are a lot of people when it was phoenix versus milwaukee oh this is going to be the most boring finals ever, blah, 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 blah. Because people, as we all have acknowledged here on this show, there's a lot of lightweight NBA fans, uh, what I like to call casual fans, who are wanting to see LeBron. They want to see a Kawhi Leonard. But honestly, through these first two games, both teams have held serve. They've won their both their home games so far. And it's been actually a really fun series. Yeah. It's been, I mean, just barely. That, that, that Giannis block that... You know, we heard in that, uh, you know, the montage, highlight package yeah. at the beginning. That Giannis block was one of the most incredible athletic plays I think I've ever seen. Yep. Like, I mean, I've gone back and watched it multiple times just to see, okay, how did he read this? Where did, And just the amount of ground that he covers just to get there for that. <laughs> yeah. It's still hard to believe. That's one of those just iconic plays that, you know, is going to define, I think, this series no matter who wins. Yeah, see, and that's the thing about this. You're getting stellar play from both sides of what's going on right now as we uh, as we see how this series is playing out. We thought, and trust me, the first two games when Phoenix took care of business, it felt like, oh, they're just on their ascension to winning their first NBA title. Meanwhile, Milwaukee's like, oh, we're not done. We're going to bounce back here, and they've done it. It's credit to them. It's been fun. And I'm with you. That block, when I saw that go down, that is going to be a block. You were going to see uh, 50 years from now when the NBA Finals talks about the great moments in NBA Finals history, that block is going to be on the montage that they show. It's similar to the block that LeBron James had on Andre Iguodala to win that title for Cleveland. It's, it's just an iconic, iconic play. And the athleticism to pull that off, otherworldly. Yeah, I mean, Giannis has really been showing why he's you know, called the Greek freak because he is a freak athlete. Uh-huh. It's insane. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm excited for Game 5 tonight. They return to Phoenix. Uh, who do you got in this one? See, that's the thing about this is we've had both teams hold serve. They've won their home game so far. And I'm expecting tonight, uh, if if Milwaukee wants to win this series, they have to win tonight. They need to go back to Milwaukee, up 3-2, go back to Milwaukee for Game 6. By the way, just a side note, the spread out NBA Finals format, geez, they're dragging this bad boy out, aren't they? Oh yeah, they they're uh, they're making up for the breakneck speed that they went through the entire regular season and first three rounds of playoffs. By now, just saying, all right, everybody, let's let's take a breath and let's let's just see how much we can milk this for. Yeah, and see, that's the thing about it. So, it is my opinion and. If Milwaukee wants to win this, and 50 years between NBA titles would be kind of a cool just 50 years, 1971, 2021 to win titles, that would be really, really cool to see. But I think Phoenix is going to win Game 5 tonight, and I think that it's going to go seven games. Honestly, I do Mm -hmm. think it's going to go that way. Uh, 
but I do think Phoenix pulls it out at home tonight. Yeah. You know, and I, 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 I think I agree with you. Um, you know, and I think that seven games is probably a best case scenario as far as the NBA is concerned. Oh, sure. Because, you know, I mean, like you said earlier, you know, we've discussed a lot of kind of the casuals, the people that think that this is a bad finals because it's not any of like the, the name brand teams. Um, I do think that had Phoenix come out and either swept this or won it in a gentleman's sweep, that it might have given that argument a little bit of credence and that the NBA would have been concerned about that because it's like, well, you know, this just wasn't fun or interesting. I think it going to six or seven, you know, hopefully seven, really does make it interesting because it shows that these small market teams really do have that that ability to grind it out and to, to play high-level basketball to overcome adversity, you know, being down 2-0, coming back, evening the series, making it essentially a best of three going on. Um, I do think that it's potentially a situation we might see Milwaukee do a little bit of what the Clippers did to the Jazz. You know, yeah. if, if Phoenix isn't able to to come back home and make adjustments. Now, I do think that it's a little different in that, you know, those those wins in Milwaukee seemed a little bit closer. Um, I do think that it was less Milwaukee figuring out Phoenix and more Chris Paul just didn't have some great games in Milwaukee. Um, now, if Chris Paul's able to overcome that and return to form in Phoenix, then I think that Phoenix wins this one fairly easily. If it turns out that Chris Paul's struggles are somehow you know related to whatever it is that Milwaukee's doing, I think Milwaukee has a good chance to win. I, I would agree with you on that. That that that's the thing about it is yes, Chris Paul has not played stellar in those two games up there in Milwaukee. He he has struggled, uh, some baffling turnovers, especially mm-hmm. in Game Four, like that late one. Like, what is going on here? And you're right. If 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 this is something, yes, if it's what Milwaukee is doing that's affecting him, yeah, Milwaukee's gonna have a shot in this game. And guys like Drew Holiday. He's not been shooting it well, but his defense has really taken an uptick. And that's good news if you're a Milwaukee fan. Chris Middleton's been ca- taking care of the scoring well. We all saw that. But you need, if you're if you're Milwaukee, I'm with you. The, kind of the thought of, okay, we need to do kind of what the Clippers did to the Jazz. We need to take advantage where we can. Because DeAndre Ayton has not been at his best the last couple of games as well. And he struggled. And Brooke Lopez can drag him out, similar to what we talk about with Rudy Gobert. He can drag him out to the perimeter and open up that lane for the rest of the Bucks to take advantage of that. And Giannis, by the way, <sighs> stop shooting the three. Just don't. <laughs> Just don't. You have, a, you have physical gifts that very few people in this world will ever be blessed with. Go to the rim. You can get to the rim at will. Just dunk on fools. Score at the rim and call it a day I just I don't see the need for him to be shooting the three yeah you know and it might even just be something as simple as that's just kind of what the game has evolved into you know like you know growing up now a lot of the kids it's just kind of you know they want to make it rain they want to see how far they can they can hit from Mm -hmm. Um, I think driving to the basket is a little bit of of a lost art it's not a dead art uh, because you know we still see the best of the best do it very regularly. Correct. But it's something that you know it it's not seen as as difficult. I don't think as people are coming up, and so they don't tend to think of it in those kinds. Of, you know, if they're looking to in the big moments, oh, if I hit a three here, that that does a lot more than 
a simple drive to the hoop. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what really really does separate the good from the great is that ability to recognize in that moment that, okay, sure, I have the capability of hitting a three, but a drive right here is what is the better option. You know, I can get a better look if I drive and there's nobody that can stop me. If Giannis can can learn that and just kind of get out of that three-point shooting mentality, because I think that's what it is. I just think that's it. I th- I, I don't think that he thinks that's his best shot. I just think that's where, you know, when you're not thinking and you're just kind of an autopilot, mm-hmm. I think that's just his default. So it's being preached to you. Like, yeah. It's just you're, you're constantly being told three or at the rim, three at the rim, three at the rim, or, or get to the rim. That's what it's been in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And Chris Paul, I think, in a way, if you're Giannis, understand what Chris Paul's doing. He takes advantage where there is weakness, and it's the mid-range game. He understands, I can hit that shot all day long. Well, Giannis got to understand, nobody can stop me from getting to the rim. So I'm right. going to go and score. I'm Either I'm getting a bucket and potentially a foul, or I'm getting fouled. Yeah, and like you said, you know, it is a lot of three or at the rim, and I think that a lot of the times... You know, what probably happens in players' minds is when they hear three or at the rim, sure. they think, take the three, and if you can't, then get to the rim. Sure. You know, and maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. I'm not in these locker rooms. I'm not in these players' heads. You know, I'm, I am I have never heard an NBA coach explain or break down exactly what the, the shot selection process is. But I would imagine— and This is just my personal opinion. I could be very wrong about this. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine, though, just— you know the way that my brain operates if i if i hear that if i'm not thinking critically about it i can imagine that that's just the natural assumption that it would be all right this is our offensive strategy three or at the rim okay so i'm going to take a three and if it's not available to me then i'll drive so i think that might be what's going on in Giannis's head and why he's taking such a high volume of threes and okay, high volume might be the wrong right. term because he doesn't take he's not, he's not jacking them up. We're right, not Dame but, Lillard over here, right? And we need to talk about Team USA here in just a minute. We'll get to that. <laughs> uh, but uh, the 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 biggest thing is I think you you look at this and he's not taking a high volume of them, but he's not hitting at a high clip either. So. Right. That's a wasted possession. He, he's shooting more frequently than he should. Sure. Is what I yeah. kind of mean by that. Like, if it's a higher left percentage. If you're wide, bleeping open, sure, hoist it up. Like, if you are, if they're like, we dare you to shoot that one, give it a shot once in a while. And if you knock one down, if the rare night, because we've seen Giannis, there have been nights where he starts hitting the three. And by the way, if Giannis ever develops a consistent three point shot, he is v- what? Kevin Durant on steroids, yeah, it feels like. like yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just insane. I But, yes, I, I feel like Phoenix is going to squeak out a win tonight. And it's going to be despite, and I'm, I'm expecting Milwaukee, they know what's at stake. They can go win, still win on the road here, go home to Milwaukee, have that crowd behind them, and celebrate a 50-year gap between NBA titles and become legends in their home city and do it on their home court. That's what they understand is going to happen. But I just feel like Phoenix, they're going back home, they're going to be comfortable, and they're going to take care of business. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I I, I think that it definitely – I mean, it it's hard to, to beat a team three times in a row in a high-pressure series like this. Mm-hmm. I know that that's what we saw with the Jazz where, you know, they lost, they lost game five at home and then they lost game six on the road. You know, they lost to the Clippers four times consecutively. That's not – common at all and 
You know, that's pro- I think that's a good reason. You know, it's a pretty big reason, I'm sure, why Jazz fans were so upset about, sure, you know, losing when they did, because it was the way that they lost. Where you know, all season long, they'd never lost what more than two games in a row, and then suddenly here they are losing four <laughs> with all of these expectations and things like that. You know, if it were common, I think that the fan base here would be a little bit less upset. I mean, they'd still be disgruntled. They'd still be disappointed. Yeah. But because, you know, like I do think because it is so difficult to do that to any team, when you get to the NBA Finals, it's just, it's really, really rare. And especially at that that final level where it's the best two teams in the NBA going head to head. There's no doubt about that. So I think you and I are both in agreement that we're taking Phoenix tonight. And trust me, I, I also wouldn't be surprised if Milwaukee comes out on fire and they're gunning for it because, like I yeah. mentioned, they, they, they understand what's at stake here. For sure. Obviously. I think it's going to be a tight game. But it should be a fun one. That's the been, It's been a series that's actually been pretty thrilling so yeah. far, and that's the fun part. Okay, I, I do want to talk about Team USA here for a minute. USA Basketball. Uh, so Bradley Bill is out of the Olympics. Uh, entered the, uh, the health and safety protocols. Uh, they declared he's not going to the Tokyo Olympics. Jeremy Grant also then entered the health and safety protocols, but according to Greg Popovich, there is optimism that he will clear that and be able to rejoin the team for the Olympics. But they went out and replaced uh, two roster slots, and Keldon Johnson, okay, he's there practicing with USA Selects. He's a guy who plays for the Spurs. He understands Pop's system, all that stuff. But JaVale McGee is the best we can get? <laughs> You know, it's, yeah, and who knows? Because, like, right, you know, we we saw guys locally, you know, the two U.S. Soup, the two U.S. All-Stars on the Jazz team, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, neither of them wanted to go play, you know, passed up the opportunity to play for Team USA. Mm-hmm. Obviously, because they wanted to, you know, nurse their injury, they wanted to get healthy for next season. Sure. That's understandable. Um it's very likely, though, that a lot of these other all-stars, you know, other teams, they've had similar conversations where the guys that probably should be available just went, you know what, I need the rest, I need the offseason. It's it's short this year. And, and it's a week before the games actually get going. Right. So, <laughs> so it's like, you know, eh. And so maybe, yeah, maybe it is that JaVale McGee is just like, you know, they went through the whole list and they're getting towards the bottom and they're like, oh, man, like, Please, 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 Hey, JaVale, please. what are you doing? I can be there. <laughs> yeah, and so it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Team USA. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not pushing the panic button yet because the games that they've lost have been exhibition. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't really count for a whole lot. And sure, you know, I know that some people are concerned, you know, Nigeria, Australia – you know, people are thinking, well, you know, back in the day, Team USA would blow out Nigeria by, you know, 60 or more points. They, they, they beat them multiple times right. by just absolutely crushing them. Right. But, I mean, we've seen over the past couple of decades that basketball really has evolved into a, you know, an internationally powerful sport. It's a global sport. There's no doubt about that. Like, you know, the dominance of the Dream Team – I mean, the 90s, this was like 30 years ago that... And now Nigeria has seven NBA players on their right. roster. You know, so I, Australia, I mean... Australia, as Joe Ingles pointed out, when they went to the 08 Olympics, which he played in, mm-hmm. 
Andrew Bogut was the only NBA player on the Australian national team roster. Now I think they're upwards of eight or nine, and that's not including guys like Ben Simmons who opted out of playing. Right. And so, yeah, we've really just seen it come a long way where, sure, you know, the dream team of the 90s was the greatest basketball team ever assembled. But the rest of the world has started to close that gap. Like, yeah. I mean, even if you could take that team, bring mm-hmm. them into the, mo- the modern era, pl- put them against these other, you know, NBA player teams from foreign countries, they'd still dominate. Sure. But that margin of victory would be narrower. It'd be significantly and, better, yeah. you know, when you take a team that has had a lot of All-Stars pass it up, mm-hmm. the All-Stars that didn't are coming immediately off of a season you know they're pretty fatigued where yeah these other teams they have nba players that do that as well but they've also got guys that are pretty fresh and so you know team usa doesn't necessarily have that luxury with its depth yeah like it it makes sense to me especially when you consider that the urgency hasn't been required yet it doesn't matter if they lose these games because can they still win gold yeah that's you know it 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 hasn't and that's the expectation. Right. And yeah. And that's the thing with this team that I'm pretty sure that they understand is that anything less than gold is viewed as failure. You know, I mean it well, it is. Yeah. And it Trust is. Me, it should we had be. a we had a redeemed team in 08 going to Beijing because we finished with the bronze medal. Yeah. By the way, Joe Ingles over here is like Hey, can we win one of them medals? Because yeah. Australia, they're, they're truly there's fourth a fourth place. How many times now? Two or three, and they've had and they're the best. Uh, they're the best team to have never won an Olympic medal. Honestly, that there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But yes, we had a redeemed team because of a team winning a bronze medal in Athens, going to Beijing. We need to get back on top. This year, I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I think what the gist of what you're trying to say, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that there is a margin of error here for this te- this version of USA Basketball that is so much smaller than it has been at any previous point in their history. Oh, and by the way, we have essentially what is a B team playing in this Olympic Games. Yeah, and you know, I do think that you know that that margin of error is there. So there's reason for concern, but it's not the panic level yet because, look, you know, Kevin Durant can go out there and just if he decides to turn it on they're going to win every single game that they play yeah yep right yeah like kevin durant's on team usa it doesn't really matter who else they have (laughs) now if kevin durant doesn't turn it on well then you got dame lillard you know then yeah you've got dame lillard you've got a few other guys and things like that jason tatum you know that's the area where it is reason for concern is Mm -hmm. it's it's like okay if these guys are just kind of floating through this going through the actions then yeah they're gonna lose the gold medal yeah because it is that small of a, a, a margin of error. But it's not a panic yet because I think that these players understand that. That they go, okay, these exhibition games are exhibition games. I'm not going to burn myself out now. I'm going to wait till it actually matters. And that's when I can step into my zone and we can we can put away everyone that we play. Yeah, so very interesting times ahead for Team USA. I did, And so I was kind of freaking out about JaVel McGee being the guy that Team USA picked. Uh, I do need to acknowledge, there was a tweet sent to me, I, I would scroll back to see if I could find it, I could not find it, but one person pointed out to me, and this is something I think is a little underrated, is there are different rules in FIBA basketball than there are in the NBA. And yes. I think they're, by the way, Team USA, they're still adapting to the no calls that they're used to getting in the yeah. NBA. 
but the, 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 yeah, you're, you're chuckling because you know exactly what I'm talking. Because they're like they're like flailing, like where's the call? And the Phoebe officials like, ha, that's funny. Let's, let's back to the other end. Let's do this thing. That's that's probably been my favorite part of it so far is watching them expecting these NBA calls yes. and it's FIBA. You know, like I I kind of want the FIBA refs in the NBA in some ways. Yes, uh, but so the, but the point was made to me is that well, with these FIBA rules, by the way, you can take the ball off of the rim. And as they mentioned, a, a legit rim protector, and that's what JaVel McGee is at this point in his career. Yeah. He is nothing more than a right. glorified rim protector. Uh, he he, he actually becomes more valuable in a way because he can take the ball off the rim. The goaltending rules are different than they are in the NBA. We'll see. I, I still have my qualms about JaVel McGee, and I'm with you. I think they probably were going down that list. And our good friend um, Osteomath, uh, still following, he said this. The as-yet-unreleased start of JaVale McGee's recruitment phone call or text for the Olympics was, quote, you up, question mark. <laughs> so osteomath, well done. Well done with that. That's probably exactly how it started, in all honesty. And they probably did go down the list because I thought Julius Randle would be a guy that Team USA probably approached. But somebody mentioned to me that he actually recently had a baby. Also, it was his birthday. Okay, well, it's, it's a week before the the games get going. A lot of these guys have probably got off-season plans that they don't want to disrupt. So, Best of luck to USA Basketball. Uh, hopefully the COVID issues are behind them because obviously that's something that could derail them very significantly as well. Hopefully the COVID issues are behind, you know, Every, Tokyo. Because sure. It's, uh, oh, I no, mean, we, we got a story about that yeah. in, in technical fouls yeah. we're going to bring it's, up. Yeah, the, the whole thing, I mean, I've been excited, but every time I'm like, okay, here we go. We're ready. We can do this. Then something else comes up, and it's like, oh, boy. I mean, you know, there was today there was the test you know, the positive test in Olympic Village. And it was like, oh, uh-huh. man, is this even going to happen now? See, my like, story that we're going to talk about involves Uganda, weightlifting, and an athlete going missing in the Olympic Village. Oh, boy. All right. So get ready for that. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> uh, coming up next, we'll talk a little bit about the Open Championship, which is nearing the end of day three over there at Royal St. George's. Got some great golf going on, by the way. We'll talk about that. We'll also get to your guys' responses. You guys have thoughts, by the way, on the show at any point today. Feel free to weigh in. Uh, you can find Lundy at 247Lundy, 247Lundy. I'm at Jacob C. Hatch. Eric is at Eric18Utah. Love to hear from you guys. Also, you can use the Zone uh, Twitter feed at Zone Sportsnet as well. And it's all always use the Zone app, uh, the 15 seconds of audio, what we call our open mic. You got takes on the matter. Eric can pull those and play them as well if you want to use that as well. All right, so more in a moment. This is the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. The weekend is here, and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Yak and Lundy along for the ride here on the Saturday afternoon up and down the Wasatch Front. Hope you all are doing great out there. Eric behind the glass spin in the ones and twos as it were for us. And by the way, is there a better intro to like a song than this one? Gosh, this one just gets me amped. And you know, like one of my favorite things about this and I just I, I don't know how or why it became the thing, but Virginia Tech okay yeah. college football oh, yeah. entrance, like using this, one of the coolest things in all of college football. Absolutely. Ding ding ding! I, there, I, there is a theme today. 
I have picked. Oh, is it intros? Football stuff. College football stuff. Okay, well, I want, I want, um, well, no, you you probably are all over (laughs) it, but. There's some good ones out there. There are yeah. some absolute good ones out there. So you, you actually guessed it without even knowing you were guessing yeah. it. But I, I mean, it's one of those things that like it's it's on my college football bucket list. I want to go. Sure. Like I mean, I don't really care for Virginia Tech. The at Hokies. All. Like the, the Hokies. Like the turkeys. Yeah. If they if they win, if they lose, I honestly, I mean, it mostly depends on who they're playing, I guess. Sure. Um, but if it's another team that I'm just ambivalent about. I'm gonna just you know I'm, I'm tuning in because it's college football, but I'm not I don't have any rooting interest. But I still want to go out there just to experience this entrance, and experience that crowd, experience that energy because, man, their Enter Sandman intro, like even just watching it on TV, it's one of the coolest things I have ever seen. Okay, I've got your opportunity for this. My memory did not deceive me on this one. September twenty sixth, twenty twenty sixth. The Brigham Young University Cougars will be in Blacksburg, Virginia to take on the Virginia Tech Hokies. All right. Well, you know, I can consider that a business trip and go and check that out. So there so, you go. That, yeah. That's your reason, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> I'll buy tickets now. They've never faced each other in football before. It's a two game series. Uh, the Hokies will come back to Provo in September of 30, 2030. It's one okay. of those series. 2026 and 2020 or 2030. So the the road game for BYU to Blacksburg going to Lane Stadium is September 26th, 2026. Okay, five years. So there you go. Okay, yeah. So my memory did not see me. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I think BYU's got them on a future schedule. So there you go. I had to look it up. But nonetheless, it is one of those great intros, I feel like. Absolutely. So thanks for that, Eric. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what's going on in golf. Oh, oh by the way, I've Got me off topic. I was there's another tweet that came in from our good friend Osteomath. We'll get to that, and then we'll get to the golf here in a second. Uh, Osteomath, that's still following, said uh, this was our, in reference to what we were talking about with Giannis Antetokounmpo. I made the point if he learns how to hit a three consistently, we're talking about just an absolutely mm-hmm. legendary figure. Well, he says similarly, if Rudy Gobert develops a jump shot, he will be Mark Eaton on steroids. He would be. Yeah. Yes. I just I don't think Rudy Gobert is going to ever do that. I feel like Giannis is more apt to do something like that. But yeah. Who knows? Maybe maybe Rudy will surprise us one of these. All of a sudden, he's hitting fifteen footers. Yeah, that would be awesome. Be Man, stunning. Just develop some kind of you know like improvement on offense. He's he's been getting there at you know where his rim game is better. I, I want to see him take that next step when there's a defender between him and the rim. Mm-hmm. Because even if it's only a six foot guy, he still seems to struggle. Sure. But yeah, Rudy with a jump shot. Could you imagine Rudy on this version of, version of the Jazz with a three shot? That would be awesome. That, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that'd be absolutely hilarious. Oh my gosh, that was just. I think he shot what one, maybe two threes this year, and it was like yeah. those were some of my favorite things. Like neither of them is were one close go to down. Going. No, it's no. Not, not the even thing close. is, I don't like, even care if he makes them. I just want to see him shoot them. <laughs> you look at like the guys that are known for that. Like he truly would be unique if he got like a three point shot like Nikola Jokic because he's so much longer than Nikola yeah. Jokic is and like I guess Joel Embiid's long and he can hit him but I mean no one quite has the wingspan of Rudy Gobert yeah, Rudy's Rudy's length is ridiculous yeah and so like it's the kind of thing where I I zero percent expect him to ever develop a really like a long range game there's no need for him to right yeah, there's there's absolutely no need for him to. It might actually be irresponsible for him to develop a three point shot. Doesn't mean I don't want to see it. No, but but it would probably 
hurt more than help. It takes away a little bit of yeah. what he is and who he is. Right. So there's no doubt about that. So thank you for that, Austin Matthew. Like I said before we went to break, if you guys have thoughts on any topic we hit on today, if you guys want to weigh in with the show, we'd love to have you guys involved with it at 247Lundy, at Jacob C. Hatch on Twitter, and also at Eric18Utah. All right, let's talk a little bit about the golf. Uh, so we are looking at the Open Championship, and uh, this actually right here, this putt you're seeing right live right now, huge miss for Jordan Spieth on 18. Like, you lose a stroke there, and this has been very tight. Louis Oosthuizen's uh, leading the tournament currently, a former Open winner himself. Uh, Jordan, funny enough, Spieth, for all the different struggles he's had in recent years, he has always consistently played well at the Open. And we're going to talk with Bob Casper about this at 1 o'clock, top of the 1 o'clock hour. He's going to join us to talk about it. And then Colin Morikawa, he's been off to a tear in his own right. Uh, but this has been a fun Open because – I know, and by the way, we're going to get to your experience with golf here in a moment, Lundy. And Eric, you can weigh in on on that as well. We'll get to that. But the weather has not necessarily been an issue like other Open championships. Usually guys get over here to the British Open and it's blowing sideways. Like legitimately, it blows hard enough sometimes during these tournaments at the British Open. Your ball usually run up and mark it before it blows, the wind blows it off the green. Oh, it's been that bad. Wind, rain, it just it seems miserable. The wind has been an issue at St. George's, but there's been no weather. There's been no rain. There's been no uh, just precipitation. It actually has contributed to the fact that we have guys that are double digits under par currently at the end of the third round. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking off air about it. I know basically nothing about this sport. This, this is, is one awesome. that, like, you know— like, I mean, I've played golf a few times. Like, sure. I understand the rules and stuff, but I still, like, if I turn it on right now, I have a very basic understanding of what I'm seeing, and even mm-hmm. then I don't really get it. Sure. Right? You know, it's one of those things where it's like, eh, I mean, they all look great to me. I mean, that Jordan Spieth miss just barely, you know. Yeah. You were talking about, man, that's a devastating miss, and I was like, I don't know. That looks like my average putt. Sure. Which is probably why it is a devastating <laughs> miss because, you know, it, it looks like when I'm on the green. So let's take a minute here. And Eric, uh, you mentioned off air as well that this is going to be the quote unquote summer of golf for you. Uh, explain the background and how that's going. Not well. <laughs> non existent. Well, what's, really. the, what's the background? What was the impetus for it? Well, I got a pair of like really old, dingy like golf clubs from a friend's uh, grandpa okay. who is kind of retiring from the sport because of old age. Sure. And, uh, I went to the driving range once, but just with, you know, the bees and a lot of other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not. I don't. That's my biggest thing. Like, how do people have time to even golf nine holes of golf? Like, I find time. <laughs> like, it just feels like even nine holes, that's like, that's automatically, that's like a five-hour chunk. That's not five, five hours. It's two hours at very most if you play it the right way, dude. Well, what if you suck so much that it takes you long? Okay, I'm proposing right now. And, guys, <laughs> I have played golf my entire life. I started when I was six years old. My dad took me out for the first time when I was six. I, I grew up down at the old East Bay course. It's now Timpanogos Golf Club in Provo and also the old Cascade Golf Center in Orem, Utah. May it rest in peace. Uh, Todd Peterson from Vivint bought it out, and it's now a park. That's where I learned how to play golf. And it's been a sport that I have enjoyed my entire life. And you just have to make it part of your routine. Simple fact of the matter. And by the way, uh, David James, who we'll have on the show at some point, we've had him on before, he will attest to this. There is what they call the golf bug. 
once you finally get to a point where it, it there and it depends on every other person. It could be one time you hit a flush shot, you hit a shot that's hit perfectly, and all of a sudden you're like, "Holy smokes, I love this sport, and I'm coming back for the rest of my life." Other people, it's a great round, it, it, there, but there's a there's a moment in this sport where it just grabs hold of you and will not let go. For me, it came as a really young uh, amateur golfer. I, I can remember in my uh, between the age of about ten to thirteen, so kind of my preteen years. It just took hold, and I'm like, I love this sport. I actually didn't play a lot of it in high school. I was playing football and doing other things at that point, but it was always there, and it's the sport I've just consistently played ever since then. It's a lifetime sport. I have a grandfather who's 88 years old who still plays. He plays with me weekly. Still goes out and plays. Still gets it done. So I'm proposing right now on the Saturday show, one of these Saturdays after the show's done, get done at 2 o'clock, we're going to go out, and we're going to have some fun. I'm 100% in on that. Yeah, I'm game. I uh, I can't promise that you won't regret making that. <laughs> I've played with some, uh, and I'll be frank, some awful golfers in my yeah. time. I uh, Jay, I, I don't think you. No, I, no, no, I, no, no. I don't no, think no. you understand. I've, Eric, I've I've swung a golf club maybe like five times in my life. That's more than a guy I have played with. I went with a guy who had literally never picked up a club before once. And they just make it. That's the thing I don't like. Like it's so hard to just hit the ball. Like, That's why we go to the driving range and practice, Eric. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, it yeah, seems like too much of a pain. One of yeah, one of my experiences with that, like, so in my days up in Canada, mm-hmm. um, there was a guy that, uh, absolute golf nut. You know, okay. one of those, one of these people, like you'll, you're probably familiar with a lot. Where he had some sort of agreement with one of the courses that he was, he did some sort of work for them. Sure. Like IT or something, I don't know. But they had made the agreement that if he did that, he got basically just free golf. My dream. Whenever he wanted with whoever he brought. This is my dream scenario. I need right? to meet this man. I so need to find out how he did One this. of these kinds of guys. And so he was talking to us and he's like, yeah, let's go. And I was, I, I gave him the same warning where I was like, okay, like, like every time I've gone, I've loved it. Don't get me sure. wrong. Like I have a lot of fun. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's <laughs> like, oh, no, it won't be. Halfway through that, I could see him just grinding his teeth, just so annoyed with how terrible of a golfer I was, okay. where it was like he was just waiting on me. It, it, was, it was less of him golfing and more of him just standing around like, okay, let's go. Pick it up. Like, just just pick up the ball. Put it in the pocket. We'll say that you, you, you know, we'll say that you shot seven over on this one and just call it good at that. Okay, well, we're going to have some fun. I, I, I'm i looking forward to this, honestly, though. Like, I Yeah, know, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen. But uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch this Open Championship because, like, just barely. Uh, was that Oosthuizen that hit that shot? There's, there's, oh, that was that was Morikawa that hit the shot. But these guys are playing really, really well. And this is a course, by the way, uh, Royal St. George's. Uh, most people who have probably not been paying attention, it's actually one of the courses that's one of the tougher ones in the rotation for the British Open. It's a shorter course. Uh, funny enough, there I saw a picture of a, a guy mowing his lawn right along the fairway of this course. It's just true Lynx course, just sitting there, and it's been around forever. But that's the fun part about this type of a tournament. It's very much different than what you expect here along the PGA Tour on our here at home in the United States. And the fun part is we've got uh, South South African and Louis Oosthuizen, who's atop the leaderboard, and Colin Morikawa, a Pac-12 graduate, who's only 24 years old, who's Dang. one stroke back. So, awesome. Yeah. There you go. He went to Cal, right? Cal, correct, yeah. He's a golden bear. 
So uh, good times. But yeah, we'll talk with Bob Casper more about this. I'm looking forward to your questions to Bob Casper, Lundy. Just I, 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 Bob's a great dude, and he, he'll be happy to address anything you've got for him. We'll talk with him at 1 o'clock. Of course, uh, round three will be in the books. We'll get his thoughts as we get ready for round four going in to tomorrow as the final major of the year in golf, by the way. Crazy to think that we're already there, but nonetheless, we'll get to that. All right, coming up next, though, we dig in to technical fouls, rewarding the people who have been dumb in sports and otherwise this week. We'll get to all of that next right here on the Saturday Show. Whether you're stuck at the mall, in the yard, or making a quick trip to the home improvement store, we've got your back. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Because that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show. It is the time as we round out the 12 o'clock hour for technical fouls, uh, rewarding the people who have done dumb things in sports, and sometimes it extends beyond the borders of sports. Uh, talk about other dumb things people have done. But, Lundy, where are you taking us first this week? So I want to call a technical foul on Oilers general manager, Edmonton Oilers general, general manager Ken Holland. Okay. Uh, you know, as – those who have been listening to this show for the last little bit, you know, since I kind of started. Since we restarted it? Yeah. People will know that I'm an Edmonton Oilers fan, you know, and we'll get into this specific thing a little bit more when Saki comes up. But the Oilers made a trade this past week that just, as an Oilers fan, infuriates and confuses me okay. to no end. Um and so just kind of the quick basics of it. Um, the Oilers traded a 24-year-old 20, defenseman okay. uh, who honestly wasn't super great for them. You know, he had some struggles, and they, they needed to, to get a new defenseman. So they traded their 24-year-old defenseman and a future first-round draft pick to the Chicago Blackhawks. For Duncan Keith, who yesterday turned 38 years old. Now, we were discussing off-air, you know, a little bit about how <laughs> hockey players tend to play at an older age than a lot. But still, 38 years old. Sure. Um, his advanced metrics haven't really been all that great recently. Um, you know, his expected goals percentage hasn't cracked 50 since 2016. Um, Chicago hadn't outscored opponents when he was on the ice since 2017. Okay. Uh They've been out-attempted when he's been on the ice for the past three seasons. And Ken Holland decided to defend this, the biggest part of it, where everybody was just floored. So the player that they traded, um, his, his cap hit, his salary was $850,000. Duncan Keith has a salary of $5.5 million. Oh, geez. Okay. And the Oilers did not get Chicago to agree to, ma to retain any part of that salary. So, essentially, the Oilers increased 
their salary overall, like, you know, they took a cap hit of about four and a half million dollars, which significantly limits what they're able to do with a player who hasn't been his prime. And here's what Ken Holland said in his defense when everybody just started asking, okay, like, <laughs> why? Why are you doing what this? in like what? And his, his response, he had a couple things that he said when, you know, reporters started rightfully questioning his decision. He said, did you want me to get him for free? It's hard to squeeze people in this league. The deal has to work for both teams. You, you can sit on the sidelines and analyze the deal. I've got to make the deal. I got to try to do something to make our team better. I believe I made our team better today because, because we've got a legitimate top four defenseman. Um, and then when asked about those advanced metrics that I went over that haven't been good the past few years, his response was, I don't know if this is a numbers decision. I can't put a price on three Stanley Cups, two Norris trophies, a Conn Smythe trophy, two Olympic gold medals, his leadership, and what he's meant to the Chicago Blackhawks franchise. Wow. Like, you know, sure, you can use that as the argument, but when you actually look at this, you know, I want to go back to what he said where he's like, yeah. you know, you can't get him for free. Deal has to work for both teams. Well, Ken Holland, technical foul because one of the two teams that it has to work for is yours. And I'm not convinced that this one works sure for the like, Edmonton Oilers. Sure it seems like Edmonton's the one getting squeezed here. Yeah. Bit, and, you know, like Duncan Keith was kind of demanding it. You know, it was yeah. what the rumors have been about Damian Lillard the past little bit. He's wanted out of Chicago. He want he had a, a small list of teams where he wanted to go okay. uh, so that he could be closer to his son. Um, Really, with those teams and the needs that were on those teams, Edmonton was the only viable trade partner Okay, in this trade scenario with Chicago. So Edmonton had all the leverage here, and we're like, sure, We'll just take that contract. Like, you know, we're and so it just, yeah. As, as a frustrated Oilers fan, technical foul te- to, to Ken Holland for making a terrible, terrible decision. Well, there you go. I guess best of luck to him with Edmonton, and may he surprise you, I guess. Is the... Fingers crossed, but I'm not optimistic. Uh, I've got a quick one here that we'll get to. Uh, so, a Ugandan weightlifter has gone missing during an Olympic training camp in Japan after learning he would not be able to compete. Uh, Japanese and Ugandan officials announced on Friday. Authorities were searching for Julius. I'm going to butcher this last name. Sekitoleko. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Who failed to show up. He's only 20 years old for a coronavirus test and was not in his hotel room. Uh, host city Izumisano. Man, I'm killing these names. It said in a statement. Uh, Ugandan sports officials said the athlete recently found out he would not be able to compete at the games because of a quota system. He was already in Japan getting ready for the Olympics, trying to live his dream, and was told your quota system apparently is why you're not going to compete. Well, uh, they have been trying to find Julius, obviously. They want to make sure that uh, he, he's supposed to fly home on July 20th. But apparently he was last seen at a local station near his delegation's hotel at 6.30 a.m. on Friday. The athlete uh, purchased a bullet train ticket to Nagoya about 200 uh, kilometers away. In the note he left, Sekitoleko said he did not want to return to Uganda and asked members of his delegation to send his belongings back to his wife. He wants to work in Japan, he said. He wants to escape Uganda. Uh, So there you go. Why would you travel him to uh, Japan and say, hey, by the way, your Olympic dream right there, you're here, but you're going back home. Yeah, but I mean, 
So a quota system, uh-huh. meaning that like they had a certain number of athletes and they brought one too many? Uh, I, I, the way I'm reading this, and I'm not 100% certain on this, it sounds like to me maybe that the weightlifting competition he's in, there's a quota of athletes who can actually compete, and maybe he was on that list that was right at the cusp of the cut line in, in, in essence. That's the way I kind of understand it, but I could be completely wrong about that. Uh, he competed in the men's 56-kilogram kilo, weightlifting final at the 2018 Commonwealth Games when he was just 17. He finished 10th in that contest three years ago. It's four years ago now. So I just... It's weird. I'm yes. trying to wrap my brain around because, like, I mean, do they not have, like, a qualifying tournament or know. something before they send the, them over? The Ugandan like, delegation was among the first uh, teams to arrive in Japan for the delayed Olympics. The team ra- started training in West- the western Japanese city uh, on July 7th after completing their mandatory quarantine. So, uh, weird. Weird, weird, yeah. weird. So, but they, ha- they have not been able to find this guy. He's hiding in Japan somewhere. Just so. Sticking it to him, I guess. I guess so, yeah. So he doesn't want to go home, and he refuses to be found. So there you go. All right. Well, coming up next, we'll go back to the world of golf, talk with Bob Casper. Uh, 1.30, we'll get to Saki, our 60 and 60 recap. So plenty more to get to ahead on today's edition of the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network. The weekend! It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait. Can't, can't, can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Jay Catch, Alex Lundberg, Yawk and Lundy along for the ride here on your Saturday afternoon. This is a theme song or like a, a song at a college football venue that I have experienced in person and it is awesome. I, man, yeah, I. this is another one that I just going through my, my bucket list on here, Eric. You're doing a great job. Yeah, uh, Camp Randall up there in Madison, Wisconsin. The stadium is really, really old. It's one of the oldest in the sport, but the entire stadium legitimately shakes when this comes on between the third and fourth quarter. It's absolutely nuts. So well done, Alex. Uh, Time now to bring in our guest on today's show, our good friend Bob Casper from Real Golf Radio. You probably heard him earlier this morning right here on The Zone as they talk golf for three hours every Saturday morning. Bob, thank you for taking the time. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Glad to do it. Hey, so let's start here. Uh, weather over there at Royal St. George's, I was talking to Alex about this and trying to explain to him that the weather for this Open has been different than other Opens, considering there's just no precipitation. There hasn't been any. Yeah. Yeah, there hasn't been any rain other than, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, and that's why you're seeing the golf course so green. This golf course is usually kind of fiery, kind of burn out a little bit, and um it's getting there because you've had sun and you've had 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 some breeze and not really hard wind, but it's getting there and um, and that's why um, uh, one of the reasons why you didn't see a lot of the low scores today is because the the course is starting to get a little bit fiery, uh, but also they um, put the pins in some really tricky positions today and it kept the scores 
a little bit higher than they have been the last two days. So, Bob, uh, one of the things, you know, like I've, I've tuned in and watched a few different professional golf things, but admittedly, I don't really know what I'm looking at. I'm not somebody that understands the game of golf really at a uh-huh. very good level at all. So when I turn this on, what are some things that I should be watching for and the listeners who might find themselves in the, my same position? You know, those of us who are new to the game of golf, what are the key well, things to keep know, an eye on? Okay. So um, in, in, a, in an open championship or a British open, um, there's, uh, especially on this golf course, um, it's, it's a links golf course. And, and links means that it's the ground that is usable ground. Um, that's, excuse me, it's the unusable, unusable ground between the farmland and the ocean. And that's where they build the golf course. So it's got a great sand base. Um, it doesn't have a lot of uh, um, uh, topsoil and that kind of thing on it. So that's why when they hit when they hit divots, you'll see the divots just kind of explode and poof. Um, but when you're when guys are playing um, the Open Championship, um, you you need to look for guys that are are hitting the fairways. Um, getting the ball in the fairway, not in the rough, because if they if they're driving it in that big wispy stuff, you're going to have an extremely hard time all day long. Guys that hit hit greens um, and that have good short games, um, but most of all, you just a lot of things happen. You get funny bounces, tricky bounces in open championships. Um, it's a little more whimsical, um, and it's not typically what you would see in the United States. Our golf courses are called Parkland golf courses. This is the Open Championship primarily plays on Lynx golf courses, which uh, which is affected more by the weather, uh, whether it's uh, rain or um, winds. So, all right. So, Bob, we've got uh, Louis Oosthuizen, who's a former Open champion yep. atop the leaderboard. Yep. But Colin Morikawa, right there with him. What are you expecting? Yep. We're obviously third round is concluded now. We're getting ready for the fourth round upcoming. What are you expecting from those two? And is there somebody else? I know Spieth uh, had that bogey on 18 that pushed him to nine under. A bunch of guys within five shots. Do you expect this to be a pretty competitive final day of the tournament? I do expect it to be competitive. What I'm interested to see is are they going to open it up a little bit more and, and, and make those pin positions a little bit more acceptable so you can see guys um, make a big run from four or five or six shots back. Um, but I wouldn't think that that's what's going to happen. I would think they would set the golf course up just like it was today, um, that it's going to be hard to hit fairways. The fairways are going to be running a little bit faster, and the and the flags are going to be in tough positions again. Um, and it's going to be tough for the guys coming down the stretch. You know, Ustazen played some great golf. He shot one under par. It looked like he had a few things that uh, that he had problems with, but he always already always came back good. Uh, Morikawa had a tough front nine, but came back with two birdies on the back nine and um, ended up shooting two under par on the back nine. So that's why he's at 11. He started uh, he started two shots back, so he mm-hmm. picked up a shot on Neustazen. The one I was disappointed with was Jordan Spieth. Um, you know, his first 10 holes, he's four under par, and his last eight holes, he's three over par. Um, and the last two holes, 17 and 18, hit a very poor shot on the 17th hole into the green, and it ended up making bogey. 
and then 18 missing that little two, two and a half footer on the 18th hole for another bogey. So, um, but I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a great round. The other thing that, um, you know, when Jordan Spieth won the U S open, he won it at um, Chambers Bay, which was kind of the United States is kind of sort of links golf course that they held an open uh, a U.S. open on or a major championship. He was in the second to the last group in the final round and ended up winning the golf tournament. He's in the second to the last group this week. So wow. if we can take something from that, you know, he might have a chance. Uh, Bob, I wanted to ask you about uh, Bryson's comments from earlier this week where he, he <laughs> said that he yeah. hated his driver. We saw, you know, Brooks followed it up with, you know, commenting that he loved his driver, you know, and, yeah. Even though I'm not familiar with the game of golf, I am familiar with that rivalry between the two of them constantly going back and forth. Uh-huh. But I wanted to ask you, you know, like somebody that's inexperienced when I go golfing, I feel like that's an excuse that somebody like me would use that says, you know, I hate my driver. That's why I'm not playing well. It, what's what's kind of the deal with that, with it coming from a professional? Well, you know, it's it, the thing that is upsetting about his comments after that first round were that, um, he, you know, he is taking, taking pot shots right at his manufacturer, somebody that pays him millions of dollars a year to play their equipment. Um, and they have done nothing but bend over backwards to try to um, make him equipment and, and many, many iterations of that equipment. And the majority of them are prototypes as far as the driver is concerned. It's not what they – give out or what what the public purchases and and he's you know and he's shooting holes in it so um he did come back and apologize um but it was it was really bad form that he did that um acted like you know uh one of the british tabloids said he was acting like an eight-year-old you know this little feud between bryson and um brooks i think is going to be something that goes back and forth um, just little pot shots here and there. And I thought Brooks's comments yesterday were awesome. He said, I'm hitting my driver really good, and I love my driver. And you knew that was was right at Bryson. Um, so uh, these guys are going to be playing um, soon uh, on the same team in the Ryder Cup. And uh, hopefully this doesn't kind of boil into that. I, I would imagine Captain Steve Stricker has talked with him a little bit about it. But uh, – but I think it'll be fine. They're professionals, and, and, and they'll do great. Okay, Bob, I want to go back in the time machine with you because, of course, your father is a legendary figure in the sport of golf. I don't know if I've ever told you this, mm-hmm. but I, I before I met you, and I've been – man, I don't know how long we've been doing stuff on air and whatnot and having you on it. Sure. But my grandfather would reference Billy Casper all the time, so it was cool to, to get to know you just because my grandpa haven't talked about him my entire life. But uh-huh. how many times did your father play in the Open Championship? I know back in that era, before I think it was Arnold Palmer really kind of got guys going over there, it was just yeah. – not something guys did yeah you know um it was interesting my dad decided uh early on that he wasn't going to play a lot of um open championships because he could stay in the united states and make more money um playing regular tour events and not you know make the trip across the pond i think the first time he played it was in 1968 Mm -hmm. um I'm, i'm just looking here right now 1968, and um, and he almost he almost won the golf tournament. Um, he 
He finished fourth, but he was leading the golf tournament going to the back nine and and through about 14 holes and hit a bad drive and ended up losing out to Gary Player. Uh, then in, in the next year in 69, he finished 25th, and then he, he, in, he finished 17th and 7th and 40th, and he only played the Open Championship five times. So um, one, of the, one of his big um, things that he talked about, one of, one of the things he wished he would have done is played the Open Championship more because it really suited his game well. He was a low ball hitter. He could keep it under wind. He liked playing in bad conditions and windy conditions and rainy conditions and that kind of thing. And to only play it five times and finish, the worst he finished was tied for 40th, and he had a chance to win a couple of times. Um, he really felt he let himself down by not doing that. But, um, you know, uh, two U.S. Opens, one Masters, mm-hmm. uh, one U.S. Senior Open, and one Senior Players Championship for a total of uh, three regular tour majors and five and uh, two senior majors is uh, is pretty good. Oh yeah, no, I was going to say he's had a, he had an absolutely phenomenal career. There's no doubt about yep. that. But did you ever have a chance to go over with him to the Open Championship? I know you've talked about going over there and broadcasting and doing your guys' show over there. Did you ever have a chance to travel with him to the Open Championship? You, you know, when I was uh, when I was younger, I did. Uh, you know, around uh, between the ages of ten and like, uh, so I would have been eight in '68. Okay. So, so the last three U.S. Opens uh, would have been when I when I was ten, which is the first one I remember, ten to ten to twelve, um, and then, uh, like you said, Brian and I went over in 2005, and we broadcasted from uh, the old course at St. Andrews. And um, we got to play uh, golf with him a couple times while we were over there. We played at Carnoustie, and the last time he had played at Carnoustie, he um, he almost won the golf tournament. So that was that was kind of fun too. So how many how many times have you been over to the Open Championship? I know you you've caddied at points in your life. Obviously, you've been on Real Golf Radio for are we twenty yeah. one years in now. How long have you been doing? Twenty two. Twenty two. Okay. Twenty two with Real Golf. It's yep. absolutely incredible. So how many times have you been over to the Open Championship? All told. All told, I've been over about a half a dozen times. Oh, it's so it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a great place, and and um, I I love playing links golf. It's totally different. Um, from what we're used to playing, mm-hmm. but it's it's awesome. Yeah, see, I, I'm with you on that. I've, my father's traveled extensively internationally. And he's talked about the fact that Lynx golf, it's a very different type of format of golf to, yep. to, to play that, yep. but he really, really enjoys it because we don't get that here at home in the United States. That's correct. All right. Well, Bob, we can't thank you enough for taking some time to join us. We're looking forward to that fourth round. I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a very competitive final round over there at Royal St. George's. Oh, by the way, on the Royal St. George's front, I think there's a lot of people out there who can name Carnoustie, who can name the old course. What about Royal St. Mm-hmm. George's? Royal St. George's sets it apart from the other courses that are in the rotation for the British Open. Well, it's in southern England. It's the southernmost course mm-hmm. in the Rota that they play. Um, and the unique thing about it is that it's uh, it's really kind of quirky and bumpy and bouncy, and it's got lots of rolls in the greens and lots of little bumps and knobs and everything in the fairways and uh, tough to keep it in the fairways. And, and uh, you know, it's got what we're used to seeing with um, Lynx style courses. It's got the revetted face bunkers. Now, revetted means that they take sod yeah. and they stack it on top of each other. And um, 
and it builds up the builds up the bunker, but it also you can see the lines in from the sod that's stacked up. Um, so um, those those are the things that really kind of make it stand out, being being from the south south part of England, and also uh, it's a little bit of quirkiness. It's not their it's not the favorite golf course of the players as far as open. Um, venues are concerned they'd rather play at uh, the old course or Carnoustie or some of the other ones Royal Troon sure Birkdale a, a bunch of different ones well when you say south it's about as south as you can go in England honestly because Dover's yeah. right yeah. by it yeah. uh, London's not too far away it's old course is up by Edinburgh no this is first south England it is as south as you get that's so. correct all yeah, right yeah it's about an hour I think it's about an hour and a half by by car to drive from London down to where this is in Sandwich, England. Great name, Sandwich, England, of all places. Yep. All right, yep. Bob, well, can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, you've done great work, as always. By the way, and sorry, I keep saying we're going to let you go. Is it weird, to think, okay. that, is it weird to think that the major, majors are over now? Like, you're in July, and all of a sudden it's done? Yeah, but, you know, in a couple of weeks we have the um, we have the Olympics, and mm-hmm. then about a month or so later in, uh, you know, mid to latter September, we sure. have the – we have the Ryder Cup, so that's something really great to look forward to. Uh, the United States team against uh, Great Britain and uh, and the European the European squad. So, um, you know, even though this is the last major of the year, I'm really looking forward to September. All right. Well, Bob, we'll look forward to. We'll continue to listen to you on Real Golf Radio with Brian as always. And thanks for taking the time to join us here. You got it. Thanks, guys. There you go, Bob Casper. Did you learn something today? I can. I can confidently say that I've learned more in the past like 20 minutes about golf than I have in the 31 years of my life previous <laughs> to this moment. Well, there you go. So that was that was great for me. Like I, that was really educational for me to just kind of sit back and and listen to to somebody who really understands the game at a deep level explain it in simple terms to somebody like me who knows nothing about it and really helps me like I mean, you know, I I was familiar with the fact that People talked about Lynx courses. Sure. I didn't know that there was an actual difference yeah. it, in the way that it is, you know, between what we have it, here in America. So that was new to me. Very that was that was great to learn. Yeah. So the funny thing is though, so Royal St. George's, you're just across the uh, the Strait of Dover from Dunkirk. Okay. It, it, it's it's as south in England as you get. Mm-hmm. But kind of fascinating. Because a lot of these if you think of when you think of British Open, they're up in Scotland where the old mm-hmm. course is at and whatnot. So a big thank you once again to Bob for joining us. By the way, Real Golf Radio, I know a lot of people, it's early on a Saturday, but I always enjoy it when I catch Brian and Bob. They've been doing it 22 years. It's impressive. That's so cool. They did a great job with it. There's no doubt about that. But I'm looking forward to this. This final this final round, it's as competitive as I think you'll you'll see in, in many golf tournaments. So if you want to learn some more, you know what to do tomorrow. Oh, yeah. You can stay up late tonight and probably watch it go off early if you want to as well. But, all right, we will take a time out here. We'll come back on the other side. Time to get into Saki, uh, the 60 and 60 recap from the week that was on Hands and Scotty. So plenty to get to and plenty more to get to ahead here on today's show. This is the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Once again, a big thank you to Bob Casper for taking the time to join us in our previous segment, get some 
uh, knowledge dispensed upon Lundy. He said he learned a lot from that, but obviously you get some thoughts on the Open Championship as well as it plays out. A lot to get to still ahead on today's show, but Lundy, let's get in to Saki. Eric? Open to Saki as we mix two different sports that are a little off the beaten track. Hockey and soccer, both interests of Lundy and I's. Uh, I've actually, by the way, since we started this show, I've learned a lot about hockey. And I, it's actually been kind of fun, obviously. As I mentioned, the Seattle Kraken, I've adopted them as my team in the National Hockey League. They're getting ready for the expansion draft this coming week. And uh, Lundy, where are we talking? Well, Soccer-wise, you already mentioned the fact about the Edmonton Oilers breaking your heart in a way earlier this week with it seems like a rather dumb trade. Yeah, that's that's the best way to put it is, you know, dumb, confusing. You know, like a lot of the beat writers that I follow that cover the Oilers have not really held back their opinions. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of them that, on the nicer side, you know, when they try to spin it, they just say they've made a perplexing trade. And then there's others where the headlines say things like Oilers willingly made themselves worth worse with Duncan Keith trade. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, I, like every time I think that they can't break my heart more, they find a new way to do it. It's just, you know pain yeah that's the it's the life of a sports fan uh, th- that's true that is a very good point uh where else in the hockey world do we need to note uh, obviously the expansion draft will be coming up this coming week we'll find out those uh what they call the protected lists yeah the protected lists should come out sometime this week where we find out the core of players from each team that are protected that are not allowed to be picked over okay. by the seattle kraken uh, and then we'll watch as the the kraken kind of formulate their first roster from Thir- the players that are available. 30 players they have to take. Something and then, like, yeah. then the, and then there's the amateur draft, which is the traditional NHL draft. And I, I'm i intrigued by all of this. I, trust me, I am, I am a neophyte when it comes to hockey. I, like, similar to what you talked about with golf, I don't understand all the dynamics of hockey. I know that hockey has changed as well. Like There's different rules and whatnot that change every so often. But for the life of me, you said, Jake, explain icing in hockey. And I would have been like, 
I lose. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, icing. Uh, hockey has an interesting offsides rule as yes. well. It's oh. different than soccer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's a few of those rules that they're weird and confusing. And then once you figure them out, it's like, oh, okay, actually, yeah, okay, you know, it's it's not as complicated as as I initially thought. Key off season dates. Okay. Just for those who want to keep track. July 21st, expansion draft. Then it really picks up July 23rd, NHL draft. Okay. That goes until the 24th. Uh, they do it in two days. Um, July 28th, only four days after that NHL free agency opens. That is also when you'll see a lot of trades start happening and players, you know, Trade deadline uh, in draft day itself, you're going to see a lot of players get moved. Um, so that whole week, basically after, basically after our show next week, there will be a ton of hockey news. So it, uh, this segment will really pop off the 31st, um, and then it's kind of a dead period until September when training camp starts. There's the preseason, which like all preseasons, is totally worthless. And then... <laughs> hey, the Kraken take the ice for the first time in Spokane on September 26th. It's been all over their social media. And then... Uh, hey, we're also... There's, this building I know. is hosting yes. a preseason game. Golden Knights so, and the you know, Kings. Yeah. That is true. So That I, one I, that one will be fun. But the rest, I don't know. All right. Well, there you go. So at least we know what kind of where the roadmap is for the offseason for NHL. Uh, let's get to the soccer part of this. Real Salt Lake had a miniature break for the Gold Cup. Uh, I don't necessarily know it's for the Gold Cup, but it was just a miniature break for the squad. They are back in action tonight as they head to Los Angeles to Bonk of California Stadium. I like to call it Bonk because it's spelled B-A-N-C. Uh, just call it Bank, but... They're taking on LAFC tonight, trying to get revenge for the loss they took here at Rio Tinto Stadium just a little under two weeks ago. Looking forward to that. Uh, Rubio Rubin, who's been kind of the breakout star for Real Salt Lake this year, he originally came to RSL on a one-year contract, just signed a new deal, which will take him through 2024 with a team option for 2025. So he got a new long-term deal. He'll be here for the foreseeable future, it appears. And it's actually kind of exciting. Uh, RSL... Tony Dotkovic, the Croatian's uh, center back they had signed in the offseason period, actually the early part of this season. He's finally on the ground and could be available as soon as tonight to play. And then Johnny Menendez, he is a true playmaker on the field, uh, number 10 as they call him, could also be available here relatively quickly for Real Salt Lake. So the whole squad, the, the, the all the signings, everything, they've all kind of navigated all the different pitfalls that COVID-19 has had for them and the full squad should be available to Freddie Juarez here relatively quickly for RSL. Of the new additions that come into the team, who's going to be the most impactful? So that's the interesting question about it is because Datkovich uh, bolsters the center back position, which has been essentially a two-man job. I know Eric Holt has been kind of the third man there, but it's been Justin Glad and uh, Marcelo Silva have been kind of the two guys. He's a left-footed center back, which is unique in the sport because left-footed anything on the back line for soccer is actually kind of rare because a lot of guys who have left feet, similar to left-handed pitchers in baseball and left-handed basketball players, you're usually playing more offense because you're just a different look. But he's a left-footed, left-footed center back. We'll see how he does fitting in. Uh, by the way, apparently him and Utah Jazz forward uh, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich are 
somewhat close and are actually fans of the same club, came from the same club over there in uh, Croatia. So kind of a fun connection there. Demir Krylock also is a Croatian, has become fairly good friends with Boyan. So we have three professional Croatian uh, ball players here in the market, by the way. Kind of funny. Yeah, cool. Uh, but I think the Menendez addition will be interesting. I- I'm interested to see how he fits in with this squad. And that last LAFC game against RSL, a lot closer. Sure. Than, you well, know, RSL talks about the fact that they feel like they should have won it. Very, very close. And that great goal line clearance, of course, by LAFC. Yes, there was. There's no Keeping doubt about that. that. All right. Uh, so there you go. That's Saki for this week. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the 60 and 60 here. Catch our listeners up in case they have missed this. By the way, you can get this whole list of the 60 and 60, the top 60 players as voted on by the local media at 1280thezone.com. You can find it. Uh, last week we left off Lundy with Dalton Kincaid, who checked in at number 44. We start this week going down to BYU at number 43, BYU wide receiver Neil Pau. Your thoughts on Big Neil? Uh, Neil is one of the most talented uh, people on BYU's roster, I think. You know, um, I had him decent amount higher than what he comes in on the overall mm-hmm. thing in my ballot. But I think Neil Powell is, you know, definitely one of BYU's receiving strengths okay. for, the, for their team. So, big body, six foot four, two hundred and fifteen pounds, kind of the overlooked guy in BYU's offense last year in many ways. It was very effective in his role, but kind of got overlooked in that. I'm with you. I had him higher on my list uh, than he is currently checking in at. Uh, any thoughts from you, Eric, on Neil Powell before we advance? Yeah, I also had him kind of in my high thirties. Okay. Um, Coming up next, number 42, Carson Terrell, tight end from Utah State. Uh, Terrell is actually a product of the Utah high school uh, uh, scene, Lehigh High School. I liked watching him in high school, and I thought he was going to have a stellar career up in Logan. It's been stunted by some injuries and just overall ineffective quarterback play, if we're being frank, Mm -hmm. with the Aggies. But he's still a great, great athlete, I I think. Yeah, you know, and – I do think that you're absolutely right with that, where the inconsistencies at quarterback and, you know, just kind of the turnover there. You know, anybody that's in any kind of receiving position, whether that's wide receiver or tight end, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, their overall productivity is going to be hurt by the fact that the, there's been kind of some turbulent waters there. And so hopefully if the Aggies are able to kind of settle things down, get a little bit more production there, we'll be able to see his production increase as well from the receiving side of playing tight end and that's the thing that's kind of been the one thing that's missing from him because he was a true pass catching threat at lehigh and it just has not translated so far but i really do put a lot of that just on the inconsistency of the offense up there in logan all right let's talk about a guy that uh, i've been asked to pronounce this name multiple times because i was the one that was responsible to get him on this list laakea kahoo hano hano davis from southern utah university linebacker what do you know about laakea I honestly, this is not a name that I was familiar with. Okay, so, so like most people at this station, unlike you, I was uh, I was very unfamiliar with him. I've been doing a little bit of Dixie State stuff on the side because they moved up to the FCS level, mm-hmm. and SUU kind of just by way of being down in Southern Utah. I saw his name, and I started looking at, and I'd seen some Southern Utah stuff during this spring season. Talking about a kid when Scotty and Hands when they announced they're doing the sixty and sixty again this year, they mentioned the fact that man, we don't really know about anybody down there at Southern Utah or Dixie State. I'm like, I got a guy for you, and I pulled up the name, and they're like, you're joking. I'm like, no, 
He had seven sacks this past spring, just a tackling machine. He's a native of Hawaii, Kahului, Hawaii, Harry P. Ryan Baldwin High School out there. He's a senior, a redshirt senior this year, but he's just coming into his own. He's a fantastic player. 6'1", 215 pounds, making plays all over the field. Well, you know, and I feel like SUU kind of, you know, this this isn't an uncommon position for them to be in where they have guys that play at a high level that, you know, kind of fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, they had a stretch there where they put a handful of guys into the NFL. Sure. As a, you know, just kind of forgotten about FCS team in the state of Utah. Keep an eye on Kaho'o Hanohano Davis this year, by the way. In fact, I, 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 I want to see Southern Utah. I don't know if they put names on the back of the jerseys. I'd love to see them try and fit his last <laughs> name on the back of a jersey. It'd be like Jared Saltalamakia in the MLB. He has the longest name, and it literally goes from like, like bottom of shoulder blade to bottom of other shoulder blade. Really, like, yes. just arced. Yeah, that's yeah. what they'd have to do, honestly, or have a really small font. There's one way or the other. All right, uh, Eric, any thoughts on any of those guys? Okay, all right, number 40, TJ Pledger, running back from the University of Utah. Uh, this is actually a similar spot that I had Pledger on my list, and it's nothing against Pledger. Trust me, and I, I know that Utah fans will are going to be like, "You're at 40." It's just the fact that they have three different running backs that are on this list. All three of them, I think, are contributing high at high levels. And Pledger, we just don't know exactly what to expect from him. Right, and I I agree that you know Utah right now it's I mean it's a three headed beast in the backfield right mm-hmm. now. Um, T.J. Pledger, you know transferring in we don't really know what to expect but i i do think that he has capabilities of being a major contributor up there this upcoming season sure I, i'm looking forward to pleasure i really like his game mm-hmm. a native of pacoima uh, california coming back west a little bit after being in oklahoma for all that time a guy who never lived up to his billing out of the high school ranks we all know that but he's got an opportunity here yeah very and- much so all right, uh, let's talk about the first quarterback, I believe, showing up on this list in the 60 and 60, Cam Rising, uh, quarterback for the University of Utah. This is low uh, for what I thought, but also I understand why he is here at number 39. Right. And Cam Rising, you know, I I also agree that this is a little bit low. Uh, you know, I had I had him a little bit higher, but it's it's one of those things where, you know, similar to T.J. Pledger, we, we don't know a lot of what to expect from him. What we saw last season before he got hurt mm-hmm. shows a lot of promise. Uh, if he's able to return to that form after that shoulder injury, um, that'll be a, a big bonus. Uh, he's got to win the, the the job outright first. Sure. You know, there's it's not going to be an easy task. But I think that, you know, that's that's a position battle. Where I I honestly don't know what to expect. You know, I think that my prediction would be Charlie Brewer would be the starter, but Charlie B as PK likes to call him. Yeah, but honestly, I have no idea, and I would not be surprised. Even though I think that Charlie Brewer will be the starter, mm-hmm. I won't be surprised if Cam Rising gets the nod. I can see that. Eric, any thoughts on Cam Rising? No, I'm with Lundy. Yeah, I, I think that he is the one guy that consistently Kyle Whittingham has been high on every time that he's bad moon to the yeah (laughs) every time that he speaks to the media and I think that there is something to be said that Kyle Whittingham keeps putting him in the conversation Mm -hmm. and saying this is going to be a real quarterback competition despite the fact Charlie Brewer almost got Baylor to the college football playoff two years ago 
the fact that Kyle Whittingham keeps saying, oh, it's an open competition, Cam Rising's going to have a real shot at this. I had him much higher. I had Brewer higher than Rising, but I, I had I had, um, I had Cam Rising at 16. Okay. Uh, All right. I think that he is probably starting-wise the tied for, you know, the best quarterback in the state. I would put him up there with anybody like Jaron Hall. So uh, I think that, yeah, I I am I'm interested to see how that all plays out. But I also sort of think that he might see the field at some point too because Charlie Brewer had a lot of turnovers at Baylor last year. And that's that's one thing that Cal Whittingham does not really – like to deal with so charlie uh, brewer also has kind of had a nasty history with concussions and so there's there's another thing you know that where even if charlie brewer wins the starting job i think there's a high probability that due to injury cam rising sees the field keep keep yourself healthy that's the biggest thing keep yourself ready because cam rising everything i'm hearing is he's actually ahead of schedule on this recovery it's going to be a true battle i think in fall camp Cam Rising, it's an extremely small sample size of what we saw him on the field, but it is as tantalizing a sample size as we have seen in some time because mm-hmm. he looked really good. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll find out. So there you go. All right, moving on here. Number 38, a transfer from Utah to BYU, Samson Nakua, playing wide receiver. He's a senior, uh, formerly of Timview High School, down there in Provo, returning to Provo. I'm excited to see what Samson does, how he fits in with this uh wide receiving core at BYU yeah me too I you know Samson's a great talent and you know I mean it's it's not something that gets showcased at Utah a lot because Utah is a run first team Mm -hmm. they have been basically forever and I don't see that changing anytime in the near future Uh, but even with that Samson was still a regular contributor uh, and showcased a lot of great talent and I think that he's going to get more chances more opportunities to show that uh, in BYU system, yeah, that that's the thing about it. We'll see how he fits in, and obviously, just hopefully, a bigger opportunity for him reps wise. I think a lot of people who overlook Samson, considering Puka, his younger brother, is at BYU. Mm-hmm. But when Samson is playing, he's really, really good. Yeah, it's, it's just been it's been it seems like too far in between him having those breakout performances. So we'll find out. Any thoughts on good old Samson Nakua, Eric? All right, so moving on here. Logan Bonner checking in, the transfer from Arkansas State to Utah State University. Uh, This is my personal opinion. I fully expect Logan Bonner to be QB1 up there in Logan. Your guys' thoughts on the matter? I I agree. I expect him to be number one. Um, It is an interesting thing thinking about it, though, that at the three major universities – there's question marks at court like we don't know who will be starting in yeah. the fall we all have our ideas and our you know predictions but yeah logan bonner i i expect to be the starting quarterback um but as with all of the the quarterback positions we don't really know quite exactly what we're getting <laughs> that's a good point uh bonner's an interesting he's been a part-time starter kind of co-starter down there at arkansas state for blake anderson I think this will be his first real opportunity to be the quote-unquote the guy up there in Logan and see how he does. Eric? Follows the coach, becomes a starter. Yeah, that's kind of what I I, thought too. I just – this is the guy that we've talked about, the uncertainty with BYU and Utah. Mm -hmm. 
there's no doubt this guy starts. Yeah, Peasley, Andrew Peasley is the other guy up there at Utah State. Uh, he obviously will battle for the job, but I'm with Eric. Like, you don't follow your head coach without thinking, hey, I'm going to be the guy. All right, uh, final two for this week we'll get to quickly. Hawati Pututau, a six foot three, 310-pound defensive tackle from Cottonwood High School. Uh, Howard, as he formerly was known, I think this is a big opportunity for him. Obviously, we see a lot of Utah defensive linemen. They kind of bide their time and then break out. I think Hawati's got a huge opportunity in front of him here. Yeah, you know, and like you said, you know, I mean, Utah defensive linemen, if you're good enough to to bear that title, that, that says a lot. <laughs> sure. Yeah, but, you don't have to be even a full-time starter to get an NFL look at that. No, I mean, I mean, you know, Look at, you know, just a few years ago, Stevie Tui Kolovatu mm-hmm. uh, transferred from Utah because, you know, there was a lot of depth there. He was in the rotation, yeah. but he was. He wanted to be the guy. He wanted to be the guy. Transfers to USC <laughs> and then gets drafted. As PK brought up, how many times is that ever going to happen ever again? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's it's weird. Utah's. Guys transfer know. from USC to Utah yeah. or to other programs. Very you know, few transfer from other programs to USC for more playing time. Right. And, you know, that's it's something that's starting to happen a little bit. I, I, I hope that Utah fans realize how special it is. I mean, even this year, um, Orlando Umana yeah. transfers. He's an, you know a Utah O-lineman that transfers to an SEC school, mm-hmm. right? He's at Ole Miss now. We've had defensive linemen transfer to USC, o- offensive linemen transfer to, to the Ole SEC Miss, and Ole yeah. Miss. That's not something that is common, and it, it should be recognized that you know, it, it shows the progress that Utah has made. Yeah, Utah's doing a great job with that depth and recruiting the cr- recruiting the talent in the first place. All right, final one here before we take a break. Chris Curry transferred from LSU to the University of Utah. Similar to TJ Pledger, probably a little lower on this list than I think most Utah fans would have expected. But similar to Pledger, we just don't know what ultimately he's capable of. Right. He, you know, he played on that national championship LSU team, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was – kind of buried in the depth chart a little bit there did get some experience the thing that I love about Chris Curry watching Utah's spring game this year you know all three running backs I didn't really see any separation as far as their productivity sure but Chris Curry there's just something about the way that he moves when he's running the ball like you know you just look at him running there's I I can't even put my finger on it but I just love the way that he plays I love the style and even though it didn't provide any separation, that was just something that stood out to me. Just watching how he runs, how he moves when he's on the field with the ball in his hands, that just captured my attention. And I love watching that. And so I'm really hopeful and excited to see what he's able to do at the University of Utah. Eric, any thoughts on Curry before we go here? Like Alex said, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, buried behind Clyde Edwards' mm-hmm. lair. So we just don't know what to expect yet. Yep, we'll find out. So we'll continue to break these down for you. The 1660 rolls on. Uh, we're 50 days away from BYU, 49 days away from BYU and, uh, and Arizona kicking off their season, 47 days away from Utah and Weber State. It's coming fast, folks, so get excited. All right, we will wrap up today's show next. This is the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Jazz, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
to Saturday show, we're a tight-knit bunch. So when we found out one of our own, Alex Lumber, was addicted to energy drinks, we wanted to have an intervention. Had my 300 milligrams of caffeine for breakfast, so I'm back on my, you know, I'm back <laughs> feeling normal again, but I, uh, man, I tell you what, I woke up just feeling like just, you know. Wait, 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 wait. So you still have one of those terrible energy drinks that you just consume constantly, even after, like, a great night of sleep? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's so, it's so, more like a dependence now. Than yeah, a, how addicted, yeah, I was about to say, how addicted are you? You know, about, about normal. But then, the National Energy Drink Association of America approached us and, <laughs> and offered us a lot, and I mean a lot, of money to push energy drinks to the public. Now, a guy like me, I care about my coworkers. But honestly, I care about getting wheelbarrows full of money more. So welcome aboard, Nada, our newest sponsor. Ever just get bored sitting at work and think to yourself, hey, I want to have a crippling panic attack right now? Well, guess what? Energy drinks are for you. Want to teach your children the valuable lessons pulling an all-nighter can bring? Slip some monster into that sippy cup. Looking to see what your grandma would be like on the Miami nightclub scene? Slip some bang into her diet, Dr. Pepper. Who needs coffee when you can have processed sugar and chemical-induced power shakes instead? Energy drinks. Get jacked. <laughs> Eric, you're getting too good at this, man. Oh, man. Well done, sir. So there uh, you go. That's actually, like, really funny because I really, like, truthfully, I was telling these guys just before the show got started, walked in with my energy drink that, uh, you know, this one only has 200 milligrams. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, <laughs> I'm cutting back a little bit, I guess. But I did just sign up for a, a a subscription where 24 cans get delivered to my doorstep every three weeks. So Please you know. stop. Get some help. <laughs> 24 cans every three weeks. It was it was a good deal. I'm sorry. Like I I had to, and it, it saves me from going and buying one every day. So there you go. So Eric, well done. Thank you for sending us out on a high note. Uh, we are over time, but that's going to do it for us. Lundy, any final thoughts from you? You know. These shows go by so fast. They fly by. Like having a blast. It's so much fun. But uh, yeah, that's that's about it for me this week. Yeah, Eric, well done, sir. It's a fun show. We had a lot of fun. Thanks to Bob Cass for taking the time to join us. Thank you to all of you who have tuned in throughout the show and interacted with us. Hope you guys are all doing great. We'll be back next Saturday. This has been the Saturday show for July seventeenth, twenty twenty one, right here on the Zone Sports Network. See ya. (laughs) 